Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings, and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. Hello guys and welcome to the Stardom Cast, your weekly or sort of audio source of all things world-wondering stardom right here on the Podmania Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Rob Goodwin, and I'm joined as ever by Chris O'Brien. Happy Easter weekend, Chris. It's, yeah, I've slowly realised something in that my movie tastes don't align at all with yours or Gaff's. Well, I think both of us could have told you that without you having to announce it. If I'm honest, I mean, I'm looking at my, I was looking at my list earlier because I just do that sometimes. I quite enjoy my list, and <laughs> it's a comfort uh, blanket. Yeah, and like while I like Lord of the Rings, it's only currently number seventeen for first one, and things beating it are like cliche rom coms with like very airy. Indie music, and you don't like indie pop. I once said I liked indie pop, and you were like, "Oh, that's for pretentious wankers." I'm like, "Thanks, mate. Thanks." I don't think they were my exact words. Oh no, well, actually, no, rem- they might have been actually. I can't remember your exact words. But you also insult me for liking the 1975. You were fucking class. The 1975s are grade A wankers. That's why. But oh, oh name a band, and they're probably A grade wankers. David Bowie slept with underage women, and John Lennon hit his wife. The Foo Fighters. 
Dave Crow is a fucking sweetheart. He is a beautiful man. He is a bear, and I know that he will cuddle me tight at night. Yeah. And, like, Pat Smear is just happy to be there. Pat Smear went through a weird phase out of being the creepiest looking guy in the world. Like, he, I know. he was, like, Have very you... rich swan in his facial expressions. Yeah, like, he wasn't all there, was he? You know those, like, fake photos of before and after meth? He looked a bit like that, but he didn't take meth. It's a weird one. Although, have you ever, have you ever heard the story of his first band, The Germs? Weren't they, the like, the punk band that were, like, aggressively punk? Yeah, and they'd go to, like, um, the Californian desert, set up a big speaker, and on the side of the road, like the road would be raised up and have that at the stage. It all sounds really cool, but their singer was obsessed with being remembered. So one night, he he said something, and before he was joking, where we're going to play this gig, and then I'm going to buy enough heroin to overdose and die. So then I'll be remembered for dying after this amazing gig. They thought nothing of it. He actually went and did it. Um, and he didn't get... Re- they didn't get any coverage because he did it on the 8th of January 1980. Which is when John Lennon was shot. Shit. I know. <laughs> I mean, this, this is up there as one of the most depressing cold opens we've ever done to a podcast, Chris. I'm not going to lie. I mean, like, we started off well. We did. I was very, I was very exuberant about it being Easter. And then you were just like indie pop is shit and then we sort of fell down that rabbit hole indie pop isn't shit indie pop is really good your your mind is just closed name me one good indie pop band 75 i said a good indie pop band why do you not think they're good why do you think they're good they're great that's not really a reason is it their lines on um give yourself a try what would you say to your younger self growing a beard quite hard and whiskey never starts to taste nice great line It's a good line. It's not a good line, though, is it? It's a good line. It's not. Even even that. Even you saying it sounded pretentious. Never mind some pretentious bloke singing it. Pretentious. Fuck. Just because you listen to Blink One Eight Two, who know about five words. Hang on, you listen to Blink. And I miss you. The words. Hey, your voice of treason. Fuck off and tell me that's not. Not that. That's fucking pretentious. You think that is pretentious, but hey, your voice of treason. How is the line to hear your voice of treason more pretentious than uh, tell your younger self that growing a beard never gets easy and whiskey well, never tastes good? Fuck and, off. And say it like that. Jesus Christ. Everything sounds pretentious when you say it like that. <laughs> able guy in that voice and you sound pretentious. Nah, disagree. Like Bell and Sebastian, Vampire Weekend. I know you don't like the Smiths, but I they're fucking more... hate I... Vampire Weekend. Hey, Vampire Weekend, you have no soul, Jesus. Oh, Christ. they're just relentlessly happy. Just fuck off and let me be miserable, you happy cunts. Just leave me alone. <laughs> so MGMT, um, Foster the People, Foster the People, the band that did one song. Oh, it's a good song, though. It's not a bad song, to be fair. It's not a bad song. Saint Vincent. Who? Saint you don't. Saint Vincent's great. Is that is that a song or a band? Band. No, never heard of them, Chris. Twenty One Pilots. Twenty One Pilots aren't indie pop. Definitely indie pop. They're not in any way indie pop. 
Tudor Cinema Club, Arcade Fire. Fuck. Tudor Cinema Club can fuck right off. Churches. Oh, I really like them. Yeah, there we go. There, fuck you. Chris, I'm being massively sarcastic. They're shit. Oh, you don't like... Oh, fuck you. <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> They're great, though. Forever is a bop. Do you know what? I'm going to move this swiftly on because I can just see that this is going to make one of us very, very angry and I don't know who it's going to make more angry or it's going to make our fan base turn off one of the two. I mean, I'm currently drinking Red Bull, so I'm very volatile. I mean, Like, you've never never seen me on a lot of caffeine, have you? Um, I think I've heard you on a lot of caffeine. Probably. If we're doing a podcast in the morning or even the afternoon, chances are I'm on a lot of caffeine. I was just going to say, it's not the morning, mate. It's five to two as we record. I was up until 4am. Fuck you. <laughs> I'm drinking so much caffeine that I'm going to... You know how like that one flash villain is always a second out of sync with time? Yes. I'm kind of shaking into that ethereal plane. <laughs> oh, speaking of flash, have you now seen the four-hour Justice League? No, no, I've I've not said I have too much wrestling to watch. I think you might need to reassess, mate. For the four-hour Justice League, you you sat down and watched a four-hour Justice League, and you're telling me I need to reassess how I spend my time. Yes. (laughs) Plus, I've already said this in our group chat. I want to watch through all the DC movies first, so I can get a baseline of what I might think going into it. Okay, I am just going to say this, Chris, before we before we move on, um, I am just going to say, I don't really understand how you can abuse me for wasting my time watching a four-hour film that most of the world is watching when you, of your own accord, watched a wrestling match between two fucking books. It was part of a whole card, Rob. And also, it was... The books, they're good wrestlers. I think I've won that argument. Anyway, so... Oh, you can't go, I won that argument, and then move on like you won the fucking argument. I mean, my match of year thread is at 99 matches now, but you... You watched a match between two books, two inanimate objects. What a waste of time. You would have won the argument if you'd have pointed out I've watched a 0-1 match. That might have won you the argument. No, do you know what? No, let's move on. Let's move on. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this is a stardom podcast. Let's talk about some stardom. And there's been lots of news coming out of the promotion. So we'll start. We've been talking quite a lot about the Cinderella tournament, and we got some concrete dates for that. Um, This came out on the 26th of March. That The Cinderella tournament 2021 is going to take place on over two days at Corrigan Hall, the first round taking place on the 10th of April and the thir- the 30th of April, Corrigan, that is going to have the remainder of the matches. So again, all of round one going to take place on the 10th and the rest of the matches taking place on the 30th. They also announced the field, uh, but not the brackets. So the field as it stands at 20 competitors, we have got Mayu Iwatani, Starlight Kid, Saya Ida, Goki Can Death, uh, Yutami Haishita, Momo Watanabe, Azumi, Sayakamatani, Julia, Stiori, Micah, Himika, Natsupoi, um, Natsukatora, B. Priestley, Konami, Saki Kashima, and then Tam Nakano, Mina Shirakawa, and Yunagi Sayaka. Um, we will talk a little bit more in a little bit more detail about the Cinderella tournament after we've reviewed what we want to review and after we've talked a little bit about the Yokohama Cinderella card. Um, but initial thoughts on that, Chris? 
Um, first of all, I'm very impressed that you managed to get through those listed names of only two umps. But also, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how I feel about the extended field. I've, the tournament being one day, like a short one day tournament, sort of gave it its appeal. Hmm. Like, that was part of its identity, and they're just t- taking that away. I understand you have more on the roster, but you can make the Cinderella more exclusive and then make the five star the one where everyone kind of gets their shot. Yeah. I don't know. I, I just kind of like the exclusive, the exclusive, I can't say it, exclusivity of the Cinderella. And I understand that Stardom's roster has expanded massively, but you. You can have like two people from each stable or something too. You don't need everyone in there. I agree with you. I do. I do agree with you. Um, it just feels like another single elimination tournament now, doesn't it? Um, I did like the fact that it was all over in the day. It was a slog when it happened. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it it did give it something unique that not a lot of other thing, not a lot of other promotions actually did. I like the idea that was being bandied around. I think it was by Niagara Driver on our Discord that there was qualifying matches for the Cinderella. I think that could have worked, and it gives you that, especially for people who like Unagi and Mina. Who there are some fans who think that they're still in a position that belays where they should be. Um, I think for them to win a qualification match to get into the Cinderella tournament, I think. It gives them, it lends a, little, lends a little bit more credence to their appearance in the tournament, if that makes sense. Um, with them extending the field of the Cinderella, it does make you think that the chances are they're going to extend the field for the five star. They're going to add some more matches to the blocks. Hello? Hello, sorry, my, my you cut out for some reason. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So, fuck, I can't remember what I'm saying now. Um, <laughs> I was just said about the blocks, didn't I? It does make you think that they're going to extend the blocks of the five star as well, which I know you weren't a massive fan of, were you, Chris? Well, I don't. I think it's. I wouldn't mind more people in the five star if they reverted back to the old time limit. Yeah, because they extended the time limit. I'm right to 15 minutes that, uh, in 2020. No, it was the 20. It used to be 15. It was 20. Yeah, it was 20. It used to be 15. And, that's what I meant. And we and we both agreed that all the matches that went over the 15-minute time limit suffered for it. Like, the whole point of these block matches is they're half the normal... Um, they're the half a normal time limit for a championship match, which is 30 minutes. Mm. Which is the same in New Japan and Champion Carnival and the N1 30, where time limit's normal, normally 60. And because they're wrestling so much, you can't really get those big epics. Like, we're trying to make it, give them more space to make epics, which just isn't the appeal of a five-star. Like, it's a, it's a results-based thing. Like, the threat of draws is part of its appeal, because you don't get as many draws in... I understand we complain about draws over time, but in a tournament setting, it makes perfect sense. Mm. And actually, one of the first things you said to me when I first started watching Stardom, you compared the the five-star to the G1. And whereas a lot of New Japan's matches of the year come out of the G1, you actually said, it's not the same caliber in the five-star. They're still good matches, but because they have shorter time limits, don't expect the epics that we get in the G1 climax. 
that's the thing with sprints, and it works really well for Farman. It also works really well for how most stardom wrestlers wrestle. Like you look at, say, everyone in the high speed division, Tam, and even Mayu. A lot of their best matches are under fifteen. Well, your match of the tournament was Mayu versus Tam, and that was was that twelve minutes? I think. I don't even think it went ten. It was very short. So it, that that sort of goes to sort of back up your point. My question to that would then be, would you be happy with bigger blocks if they then reverted to a shorter time limit? Depends who they put in those extra spots. Because if we're thinking about it, there's a chance that come five-star, we can have more foreigners coming in and out. Okay, so just just to give you some indication, if you look at the blocks, uh, the 20 competitors from the Cinderella, and then look at who wasn't, in this five-star, we have uh, Unagi, Mina, B Priestley. So there's three straight away. Natsupoi, that's four. Um, and I think everyone else was in. Sayurida replaced someone, and I can't remember who she replaced. Saki. She replaced Saki. So now we've got Saki and Sayurida. So the four that they're going to add, if you add two more to each block in Mina, Unagi, B, and Natsupoi, you're definitely going to have B in the five-star. B is mm-hmm. an absolute must to have in the five-star. You've just given Natsupoi, or you will give Natsupoi a, a white belt defense or a white belt attempt at Yokohama on Sunday as we record, so it would make sense for her to be in the tournament. Ultimately, I know that there are people who still aren't behind Mina and Unagi, but you give them a series of singles matches. Look at what it did for Himika last year. And I know that Himika was more experienced when she came into stardom, but Himika came out of that tournament on an absolute roll. So it it does lots and lots of things for those. And then if you think that they might add maybe a Lady C to the tournament as well as your inherent pin eater. I'm not sure if they'd add Lady C this early. Like, the I'm only to think reason how... I say that, the only reason I say that is because think of the progress she will make in that tournament to have those consistent singles matches against the likes of a Mayu, a Tam, a Julia, a Siori, you know, against those people. She's going to improve exponentially. Yeah, it'd be a weird one if she didn't, though. I don't know. I literally don't know. And it's too early to be thinking of a five-star, in it. Yeah, we did sort of spiral. Let's move on. We'll talk a little bit more about the Cinderella, who we think are early favourites and things like that after we've finished our reviews of the shows we're looking at today. Um, Last episode, we did talk about the running order that had been released for the Yokohama show on the 4th of April. And we talked a little bit about how, yet again, the Red Belt is not headlining the show. And Dave Meltzer actually wrote in the Wrestling Observer newsletter about this. And I just wanted to get your take on it, Chris. So, This is the excerpt from um, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. The promotion has gotten heat for the decision from people indoctrinated in this idea that nobody goes with that world title has to go on last. The decision was made that Julia is the biggest star and she and all the Donna Del Mondo group are the most popular faction and sell by far the most merchandise. Tam Nakano is next when it comes to merchandise selling. So she should main event the big shows, particularly in this case with her challenging for the tag team titles. The world of stardom belt, generally considered the top belt, goes on next to last with Utami Hayashita versus B Priestley, and under Nat- underneath that is Tam Nakano versus Natsupoi for the Wonder of Stardom title. The Wonder of Stardom title belt headlined, headlined the third of the third Budokan show, 
But the argument is that it was still a singles match and not a tag. And more importantly, it had the hair versus hair stipulation, making it the biggest match on the show. There were complaints from fans that made two pay-per-view shows in a row that the world of Stardom Belt hasn't put it, hasn't been put in the main event spot and trying to claim it's because the booker, Rossi Ogawa, won't push Haya Shishita. Um, what um, do you think so, about that, Chris? So a couple of things. One, he cited the same um, the main event for the same reasons we did on the last show. Like It's obvious to everyone that's why they're doing it. Do, trying to justify it from a business standpoint is something I get, but as fans, I don't give a fuck. I, do, I don't give a fuck about whether or not Stardom will make more money out of it. Mm. Like, f- from a critical level, why? Because it doesn't work with the current storyline of a promotion where Julia literally wanted to start from the bottom again and suddenly she's in the main event. That's like, the thing for me. That That, what you've just said there, is the thing for me, and then something else I'll come on to after you've finished. And it's a, it's a case of it's not like B versus Utami's devoid of story. It actually has more of a story going into this than we did for Saya. Mm. Um, and I understood Saya not headlining because in terms of the most fulfilling story, it was definitely Julia versus Tam. And the White Bells headlined over them before. The problem is, Stardom don't really give a fuck about their tag bouts. They kind of just get passed around willy-nilly and whether or not it's good is more based on the wrestlers than the booking. So it like it just seems like a weird slap in the face. Like I'm not as mad about it as some are, but it doesn't make sense that you'd put your top belt on someone and then never have them headline a big show. Like the head- she headlined a sack of dream. And it like I've seen a couple of people justify it by the opponents. Stardom picked the opponents. So at that point have faith in your roster. Ultimately, like- ultimately <laughs> I will just say as well that um, Scott Edwards from Wrestling with Scotty um, podcast has has written a really good article actually on Last Word on Sports about Utami and Stardom's hesitance to make her number one. So definitely go and check that out. It's a very, very well written piece. Um, But it's been brought up, not in that article, but it's it's been brought up that... Utami headlined the biggest show of the year 2020 in the Osaka Dream Show, which bought in just over a thousand buys. Oh, sorry, a thousand buys, a thousand people in attendance. You look at the Budokan show, and you know that drew over three thousand. They outdrew New Japan, and who was on top? It was Julia versus Tam. Now that could be perceived as Julia outdrawing Utami. I don't agree with that. You look at the all-star show at Budokan, you've got the return of Yoshiko, you've got Nene versus Momo, you've got all these people coming back to stardom in the all-star rumble, you've got a hair versus hair stipulation match, which just doesn't happen very often. So I don't think it's fair to then say, well, Julia is outdrawing um, Yutami, because she's not. Um, I think I the same as quite a lot of Stardom fans. I completely agree with the booking of the Budokan show. Julia versus Mo, um, versus Tam was the natural main event. Irrelevant of the belt, it was the natural main event. Again, I'm hesitant to bury Stardom or bury Rossi for his lack of investment in um, the red belt until we see what happens in that main event on Sunday. If there is some big angle that is planned for that main event that means actually 
it does really need to be the main event. If something happens to Donna Del Mondo, then that is a booking decision. Then that is something that we can get behind. If this is just a run-of-the-mill tag team match that they've basically gone, Donna Del Mondo outdrawing Queen's Quest in sales, we're going to put them on top, then that is completely at odds with the statement they made before Budokan of investing in the future. And ultimately, if that happens you're really painting Utami as a transitional champion. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. DDM, they may be outdrawing, but at that point, just having them in a big match, having them in the semi-main would have done just as well on that front. I literally don't see any point in not having Utami below. It's just a weird one. Like I'm not someone who thinks the belt should always headline if there's something more like tasty ahead of it. But, there's, but the tag match isn't more tasty like it's not I, it's not a better prospect it's not there's not a richer story there's none of that it's just because especially since they're only looking to draw about as much as they would in a corican in non-plague times in non-plague times <laughs> <laughs> so i'm like we've had worse headlines for non-plague corricans mm. like b Priestley headlined what five of them in a row not in a row, but like five of them during her reign. Like, mm. like more than... And Utami's been given... It's Matt, because she's been given two main events, so in reality, half of her defences have been main events. The MoMA match and um, the like, Micah match. Yeah, and like both delivered. Both like People would like the Micah match more than I do, but it clearly delivered. So it's not an Utami problem. And if you're worried about Utami's drawing power... You shouldn't have put the belt on her in the first place. You should have built her up for a bit longer. Shot because mm. it sort of takes the steam out of her. Like you can argue that it doesn't matter because it's all fake and bullshit, and it is all fake and bullshit. But your credibility goes down when you're not put in the main event, despite being the top champion. Kayfabe, man, what are you doing? It is real, <laughs> real to me. Damn it. It's... That that means been around since before I started watching. Well, probably not before, but like since I was like twelve, and I'm so sick of it. <laughs> I did just want to say as well, and this was something that I picked up a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't want to say anything, but it with the booking of this, it has become more relevant. You look at the lead up shows, and Utami's been in very few main events. Mm-hmm. Very few. You look at the last. You look in the lead up to Budokan, and quite a few of the main events were Julia. You look at the lead up to Yokohama, quite a lot of the main events have been Stars versus Oedatai. Mm-hmm. So it's not even like Utami is consistently in the main event in the you know in inverted commas Road Two shows on on the Corrigan, which is like the last big stop before Yokohama. Um, she's tagging with Hina. She's and third in on a the ma- card. Yeah, where, in a match where she lost to the people actually headlining. Like, people bitch about Momo losing all the time. She's losing him. She lost on the Corican card, but she lost in the main event. Tommy didn't get pinned, but you're telling me you couldn't have found a better place on the card for her. How many times has she been in the opening freeway? Like, how many times has she just been plopped into the Gokuhin death match or the Lady C match? And again... I'm, we are not saying that Utami's been buried. We're not saying that yeah, at like, all. Here's the thing. I understand from like a business perspective, mm-hmm. it's probably the better thing to do. 
But again, I'm not here to assess Stardom's business. I'm not an accountant. Stardom aren't paying me. Fuck Stardom. <laughs> like, I don't. I, I care about it on a critical level. And on a critical level, you're making your champion look less than the tag champs, which is a. You're look, making them look less than the fucking artist champs. Those are two belts that Stardom couldn't give half a fuck about. And it's not like she's had a bad reign. She's not had a bad match in her whole reign. No. Absolutely not. And again, she has headlined Arena Show. She headlined the Osaka Dream Show. And she headlined when she took the belt off Mayu at Sendai Cinderella. Fucking Sendai. But she right, st- she was still in the main event. One day go, a Stardom cast, like you burying Sendai. One day we're going to like go to Japan or something and have to go to Sendai for a layover or something. And we're going to be people outside with fucking pitchforks. And you're going to be chased around like Shrek. <laughs> Get out of my swamp. Um, donkey, that's really depressing. Is that depressing? Well, would you rather I, I be wanna... Shrek? You'd rather be Shrek I, than Fiona. I well, by that point, you're asking, would I rather fuck you or be fucked? <laughs> Basically, Chris, I'm asking you on this podcast, would you be the Top Shrek to my Fiona? Um, here's the thing: I want to be Shrek just so I have, finally have a fucking accent. <laughs> Uh, let's let's move on from the the um, the Atami conversation because I imagine it will probably crop up during the Corican show as well. So I just want to quickly touch on a couple of things in relation to Hannah Kimura um, and Farah on Twitter, who is an absolutely incredible follow on Twitter. Please go and follow her. She translates loads and loads and loads of stuff. So please go and check her out. Really big Ibushi fan as well, so go and check her out. Um, but Won't hold that against her. <laughs> Ibushi is a beautiful man, in fairness, and we both acknowledge that um, oh, no, on several he, occasions. He has asked for days. Yeah, exactly. Um, but she translated something in relation to uh, Kyoko Kimura's new non-profit organization to prevent bullying, and it's a website called rememberhannah.com, and it's to prevent bullying and end the stigma of mental care. Um, and basically you can donate and things like that. And the mission statement is as follows. If each person thinks before they speak, then we can break the cycle of misery. We can end the hate together. Uh, remember, Hannah uses the hashtag, hashtag end the hate. Um, I think that's amazing. Um, and I certainly hope that it succeeds in doing some of the good work that needs to be done in that area. And unfortunately, it's because of pieces of news like this that I'm going to share now that we actually have to have these non-profit organizations. So <laughs> this this was reported all over Twitter and Facebook. And I'm sure you've seen this, Chris, but um, a man in his 20s has been charged for the online slander against Hannah Kimura. Uh, they were charged 9,000 yen. Um, do you want to have a guess at how much that actually is? Oh, it was like $80, wasn't it? 81 US dollars. Um, he was also under no obligation to go to trial uh, because public insult is considered a minor offence in Japan. $80, Chris. That is absolutely abhorrent. Compounded, I... compounded... Like this. Um, all of this is from Farah's um, Twitter page. Please go and follow us. Again, does fantastic work. Um, so two days ago, on the same day that it was announced that um, the Remember Hannah site was up and running, uh, BPO 
announced their findings from the investigation with Fuji TV. Uh, Fuji TV was where Terrace House was housed. They concluded that Fuji TV lacked consideration of Hannah's mental health and that this is an ethical issue. Um, however, BPO could not determine if there were human rights violations. Um, that was then continued by saying um, BPO could not determine if Fuji TV deprived Hannah of her agency when it came to her decisions or ethics with inappropriate editing or producing methods. Uh, Fuji TV said that they send their condolences to the family and that they'll reflect on what happened for future production. Um, and again, Farah on Twitter, at Farah Akaze, she's put, there is a 63-page report that BPO released along with her statement that she is going to try and run a thread of the translated report and last time I checked she is on page 10 of the 63 page report um, and it will go into a lot more detail than I possibly can um, how I just I, I'm lost for words <laughs> I really am Chris I'm not all that I don't want to dwell on the fine because it ends up being a free speech versus freedom from consequences debate and it's just going to muddy the waters we're not going to share anything here but dudes are cunt and I understand the part of us that makes us want more but we're not going to solve the debate of free speech versus freedom from consequences here although in terms of um, what's the TV station again? Fuji TV Fuji TV um, I hate reality shows, reality shows have a trail of blood behind them especially in social media age because people will be made public messiahs and they want that because that's what gets views, that's what gets. At the end of the day you're cap- capitalising on people's personality which other thing- other places do. That's what wrestling does. But when wrestling makes someone a bad person they- unless they're particularly off colour, like especially in like late WCW and like 2010s era TNA and basically all of WWE since 1999. Um, they make sure, like, you know that it's a performance, but in reality TV, they're trying to make it seem as real as possible, which means that people, and you'll notice, especially women, get made into public, pariahs get harassed, and like, there's a trail. Of it, but like reality TV has a trail of blood, and it's something people can't escape even once they've left the show. It's not a genre of TV I think we need, quite frankly. Like, it's just low, it's just shitty drama that affects real people, especially when the term reality is it's so loose. It's, it's so like, loose. I mean, being played fast and loose, and idiots aren't going to understand the difference. I mean, it was reported closer to the time of Hannah's death that the whole angle that led to the uproar of abuse, it was written by was, Terrace House. It was Hannah staged, didn't yeah. want to do it. Yeah. So how ridiculous. is that? That's not an ethical issue. That's something that needs changing. If it's you just, aren't getting the views, then just don't have them on the show. No, Don't that's thing. try and change them categorically. In the case of Terrace House, it is very popular. Even over here, people love it over here. And um, in, in that case, it's not a case of they're unhappy with the audience they have. It's the case they want all the audience. So we'll keep doing more outlandish 
things to get the views. I, I understand it's not a genre of TV that went away, but I wish it was because it's easily like it, it's bad TV that hurts people. And there's a history of it hurting people. It's just, and TV companies, of course, aren't going to take responsibility because they don't want to. They don't want it to go to court. They don't want to set a precedent. It makes you angry, doesn't it? Yeah, it's ridiculous. I think we should move on before we bog down the podcast more than we have to. <laughs> no, that's absolutely fine. Let's move on. So, I just want to quickly talk about the ticket sales for Yokohama Dream Cinderella 2021 in spring. It is, of course, in two days as we record. And looking at the ticket sales, there are still tickets available in every single part of the arena. There are there are no sellouts as of yet. Front row are still not sold out. The um, SRS seats are still not sold out. Even the women only seats are still not sold out. So ticket sales really really slow. Especially when you consider we are still two. De- we are only two days away from the show. Um, and the question I wanted to ask Chris Genesis on our Discord has said has sort of put the question really. He's sort of pondered to discord whether it's because stardom are beginning to oversaturate the markets that they're going to um and he used the example of instead of doing one osaka show they're doing a day show and a night show two separate show and said basically it's it's a balancing act between trying to expose yourself more but also without trying to oversaturate or overexpose the brand with the fans that you've already got. And I do appreciate that that is difficult. What I wanted to ask you was, is the lack of ticket sales because of that? Is the lack of ticket sales because of the card itself? What do you think? Is it a mixture of both? What do you think is the reason? Yokohama isn't that far from Tokyo, is it? I don't think so, no. One sec, Yokohama. To... I was just going to do that. I'll let you do that. It's oh, fine. Yeah. High class podcast um, journalism. It's half hour by car and even less by train. Is that bullet train? I don't know. No, it's not bullet train. So it's like 20 minutes by train. Okay. Um, with a 300 yen ticket. That's cheap. Jesus. Um, that's like three quid. I, it just makes me hate UK public transport. Anyway, 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 anyway. Um, so a lot of the people going to that will be the same kind of people who were going to Budagon show. Mm. And so we just had a big show a month ago. And you're seeing a lot of New Japan, New Japan attendance is currently slipping. But then you, like, we see it all the time in Discord of Stardom out, and like, they recently outdrew them at Corrigan. Mm. But then you look at, <laughs> you look at how many shows New Japan have been running. And it's like, that's too many. That's way too many. <laughs> Like, well, it's, um... funny, it's funny you should mention that because I've got um, Niagara Driver on our Discord has published the rundown of the shows between Yokohama Budokan, which is the 4th of mm-hmm. April, and Tokyo Dream Cinderella, which is the 29th of oh, May. We'll get to that in a sec, but like... I, um, yeah, I'll talk for, you through that for, in a sec. For example, in in March, New Japan more, ran more shows than Stardom has all year. Jesus. Yeah, it ran Stardom's ran roughly twenty shows, and New Japan has ran let's see, twenty, forty-one, fifty. It's ran over fifty shows. 
has New Japan this year. And that oversaturation just kills your company. I don't think Sardom's quite got to that point, but I think they're running big shows too close to each other, maybe. Mm. Like, you look at... And I don't think the cards... It's not a bad card. Like, I'm excited for the card. But I think it being in such close... Because it's not even a month after Budokan, is it? It's it's a month and a day afterwards. So, like, that's a bit too close to be trying to run a big arena again, maybe. Because at the end of the day, they threw everything at Budokan. And, like, it's for what culture thing? Really, go along with this. Um, where as soon as they stop bringing in the big American imports, having run like a million shows with them, everyone stopped coming. Hmm. It was the same in Ring of Honor, where attendance went down the less um, in Edinburgh when I went for the less New Japan stars they brought. So like they brought like a, like Kushida and all of LAJ and um, along with people like Cody and Mice going all that too, the first one. And then the second one only had Tanahashi and Yano and Sonata and Evil. And then the last one didn't have any. And it, I literally managed to what stand up from my cheap seat and walk into a third row seat and no one stopped me. Hmm. So it, it, it might be a bit of that. I think it might be a bit of oversaturation, especially since Yokoham is so close. Maybe if this was Osaka, it would be a different deal. But in terms of like the day and night show, Stardom have always done that. At least since I've started watching. They've always done like some shows where they run day and night. So I don't think that's especially I don't think the day night ones um are that, but in terms of big arena shows, yeah, maybe. Because they've not really won that much out of Tokyo this year in terms of big shows. So hmm. in terms of what you've just said about the volume of shows, so Going from Yokohama Budokan on the 4th of April, this is the run of shows that we have got in the lead-up to Tokyo Dream Cinderella. Uh, Korokan on the 10th of April, Gunma on the 17th, uh, Shizuoka on 24th, Osaka on the 25th, Sendai on the 29th, and then the last Korokan on the 30th. So that's the lead-up to April. May then, the return of Golden Week, um, the 2nd of May in Hiroshima, 4th of May in Fukuoka, 5th of May in Fukuoka, 8th in Osaka, 9th in Osaka, 14th in Korokan, 15th in Nagoya, 16th in Nagoya, 23rd in Yamanashi, and the Award Gym, the Tokyo Dream Cinderella show, on the 29th of May, which I assume is replacing the Gold May show. Um, that is 15 shows in the month and a half between Yokohama yeah, Budokan and Tokyo. I glazed over while you were reading all of them. We don't have to review all of them. <laughs> Please tell me we don't need to review all of those fucking ma- shows. Every Jesus. single one, match for match. Oh, you can't. <laughs> no, no. It, I mean, don't get me wrong. There is a bigger gap between Tokyo Dream Cinderella and Yokohama than there was between mm-hmm. Budokan and, Yo- and Budokan and Yokohama. Sorry. Where are we running for Tokyo Dream? Uh, Ota Ward City Gym. Otterward City Gym. How big is that? Um, I believe it's a capacity of... Well, it will be about the same as Yokohama Dream, I believe. City Gym cage match. I assume people have run that I assume New Japan have run it at some point. Okay, keep talking. I'll get the numbers. Okay, so basically... Found it, found it, found it, found it. Bloody Um, hell, Chris! (laughs) 
Oh, I'm pretty sure that's where they held Dash last year. I think you might be right. Um, let's have a look. Twenty twenty submit. Um, yeah, it's where they held Dash. Um, it's where DDT held Ultimate Party, and it's where D- Dragon Gate ran um, Dangerous Gate. So yeah, it's a big venue. Um, COVID times, they seem to be expecting around a thousand. Let's have a look. Yeah, it doesn't say how much DDT drew, but Dragon Gate drew just under a thousand. So. So that's where you're going to be looking at. So it's it's going to be a roughly similar gate to that of Osaka mm-hmm. and Yokohama. Okay. Um, it'll be interesting if B doesn't take the red belt off Utami. It'll be interesting to see if they do put Utami on top at the Tokyo Dream Show. Yeah, but it would also be interesting to see who they put him against because when May was champion, I understand she's their like ace, mm-hmm. but they had no qualms putting her up against anyone in the main. Someone like Shiri who isn't. Who's amazing, but like wasn't overly proven at that point. No, definitely. So it would be, it, it would be interesting. I can see someone like a Himika potentially being the next challenger. That would be cool. Their match in the five star was good. It especially was. Since, especially since I think at least one of them wrestled twice that night. But I have got, I have got a theory, but we'll save that for our Cinderella tournament look through. <laughs> Anyway, let's move on to reviewing some of these shows in the lead-up to Yokohama Dream Cinderella. So we're not going to review every match. Um, The two new Century shows, we're just going to whip through the results. We're going to talk about Corican and then the Osaka shows. um, The full afternoon show wasn't up when we decided to record, so we haven't had time to watch it. We have watched... Um, the Natsupoi and Starlight Kid match. So we will look at that, but the rest of the Osaka shows will have to wait until Sunday. So the new Century show in Yamagata, which was from the 20th of March in front of 157 people from the Yamagata Big Wing. The results are as follows. Starlight Kid defeated Lady C in 6 minutes and 12 seconds. Uh, the Queen's Quest team of Azumi and Momo Watanabe defeated the Stars team of Mayu and Saya Ida in 11 minutes and 28 seconds. Um, and very quickly, that's the one match. If you want to watch something on these shows, that's probably the one match that's worth seeing. Mm. We then get our old friend, Time Limit Draw, Donna Del Mondo, team of Himika and Suri, <laughs> and the team of Saya Kamatani and Yutami going to a Time Limit Draw. Um, you know what it- I think people should, if you're going to have a show of a lot of draws, you know what I think you should start doing? What's that? Um, judges' decisions. On these smaller shows, really? Yeah, look, because it would be a good way to get a win in the bracket without actually getting a pin, and it then could be a good way to create feuds, where it's like, you didn't actually beat me, come prove you can beat me. It's an interesting thought. I don't know, I think it could just give you a bit more. Because also then, um, I don't know how much MMA you watch, I don't watch a ton. But the one thing I like about MMA when it goes to a draw is thinking about the match from before, and it's like, okay... What what happens? Like what could sway the judge the judges either way? I don't know. I just think it would be a nice way to because right now stardom is becoming more sort of bushy road iced, and it would be a nice way to set them apart. I agree with that, and I think as well it's it's another good booking crutch that they could use. Because mm-hmm. then um, we get to the time limit draw. It's not like ah oh, for fuck's sake we're doing it just so we can preserve someone. It will actually get someone over. I think that's actually a really good idea. The more I think about it, the more I like that. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't. We should. I just don't want it to be overused. In the same way that I don't want a time limit draw overused, I don't want that to then be 
a regular thing. The last thing because you'll have to think because then you'll have to think about when you want to put draws. Like, because I'm not gonna lie, it's not an original idea because Ring of Honor do it, uh, and a few times that's been. I think it's only been used once actually in Kenny King versus Josh Woods, and it was and it really heightened that match. Yeah. <laughs> I can suddenly lose interest because I mentioned Ring of Honor. No, it's not that. I'm just thinking about. I don't know. Let's let's move on. Um, we can talk a little bit more about that later on if you want. Tag team match, uh, semi-main. The Black Widows team of B. Priestley and Konami defeated the Donna Del Mondo team of Julia and Micah in 12 minutes and 6 seconds. And then the show was main evented in a six-woman tag match. Cosmic Angels, Mina, Tam, and Yunagi defeating the Oida Tai team of Natsukatora, Ruaka, and Saki Kashima. Is there anything else you'd like to say about that show, Chris, before we move on to night two in Sendai? Um, nothing about Cosmic Angels that I'm not going to say in the tag match, but um, Oida Tai are becoming very fun. Completely agree. Like, Ruaka's went from like no one's favourite child to everyone's favourite child. I'm gonna I'm gonna save my opinions for Iwaka for the future of Stardom Championship match, um, which sounds more negative than it's gonna be. It it it's not like that. Um, but in terms of Awida Tai, and I said oh, this in oh. the Discord, I think it's really quite amazing when you consider how little of a shit people gave about Awida Tai heading in January. In, yeah, heading into 2021. Like, even the addition of B wasn't getting them anywhere. You know, even the addition of Konami, people were just like, well, they've sort of, sort of dropped the ball with Konami, and then suddenly Oedetai are, they're imposing, they're a challenge, they're not cheating every single fucking match, and even the cheating, it's leading to an actual definitive result as opposed to just DQing them without any real... It, it, there was no real direction with the team, which I think was a huge issue, and Tora was sort of... She was a leader, but she wasn't. There was nothing to her character. Whereas now, now that we've ditched the stupid chain gimmick, we've ditched the stupid DQ gimmick because you know, oh, we're that edgy. We don't. We we want to disrupt the system of the we people that are paying our rules, contracts. Man. Exactly. Even though you are sort of paying us money, which again sort of shattered all manner of illusion in terms. I think it's a stupid thing when people do that. Anyway, it's like WWE the Retribution. Yeah. We're going to we're going to destroy it from the inside by you giving us contracts. No, Edatai are just sort of like the goth kids who'd be standing under the stairs at school smoking. <laughs> like it's like, hey man, have you listened to the Pixies? <laughs> nah, man, it was uh, it was by the tree in our school, and it was Cradle of Filth, the band. Actually, so actually, annoyingly, it was in my school. It wasn't like anywhere out the way. It's down the alleyway where I had to go through to get fucking home. <laughs> I mean, the tree was right next to the principal's office, so it, it's one of life's great mysteries, and Chris. Tempting fate. Like, the principal probably sold him. He had a nice little business going on. <laughs> Is it, yeah, it's just one of life's great mysteries. Like, you know, why New Japan decided to adopt the Decepticon logo for the new belt, and why Niagara Driver changed, changed their name to Armani Shoe Exchange. It, it's some of I life's be- great mysteries. I prefer Armani Shoe Exchange. Do you really? Yeah, because... I don't know why we're debating like some random. <laughs> like it was a throwaway comment. I didn't think you'd take such issue with it. <laughs> I, d- I just wanted to defend the username. To be honest, I, didn't, I don't know why I said it. I was like, I was being a bit mean. Jumping to the defense. By the way, for the record, we love Niagara Driver or Armani Shoe Exchange, whatever they would like to be known as. Um, it, <laughs> Your just, identity is valid. I saw a Twitter exchange between um, 
the Niagara Driver Armani shoe exchange and someone who didn't realise that they changed and thought they just dropped off the face of the earth. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny, but there we are. Um, so we'll move on to night two then. Um, in Sendai, 21st of March 2021, from Sendai Pit, 214 people in attendance. Uh, Konami defeated Mina Shirakawa in 10 minutes and 6 seconds. Uh, the Queen's Quest team of Azumi and Sayakamatani defeated Himika and Lady C in 10 minutes and 42 seconds. Tag team action, Cosmic Angels of Tam and Yunagi defeated the Oida Tai team of B Priestley and Saki Kashima in 10 minutes and 31 seconds. The Queen's Quest team of Momo Watanabe and Yutami defeated the Oida Tai team of Natsukatora and Natsukatora Light by disqualification. And Donna Del Mondo in the main event, six-woman tag, defeated Stars, Mayu, Saya and Starlight Kid in 18 minutes and 18 seconds. Um, Chris, anything from that Sendai show before we dive headlong into the latest Corican? Nothing. Nothing was bad. I enjoyed Konami versus Mina for reasons I can't explain. I think it's just because I'm happy to see Konami get more singles action. Um, nothing else really now. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's cool to say no, mate. That, that's fine. <laughs> you don't have to think of things. It's cool. Anyway, let's uh, let's look ahead to, well, look on to, sorry, the 26th of March, the last Corican in the road to Yokohama Dream Cinderella. Um, Corican Hall uh, from the 26th of March in front of 464 people. Uh, this was notable for two reasons. Uh, the first is that it outdrew New Japan's show. Uh, New Japan drew 388 on their road to Sakura was Genesis it, show on the 29th. I was about to say, isn't that just a random road to show? But again, I guess this is a road to show. It was it's a random road to show, though, Chris, with the belt reveal. <laughs> that belt. That fucking belt. People in our Discord are defending it, and like, not to be shitty to the people on our Discord, you're wrong. You're wrong. It's awful. It's shit. Um, I'm running out of adjectives. I mean, <laughs> as soon as someone pointed out that it looks like Cody's neck tattoo, I was like, yep, yeah, done with that. Wasn't I the one who pointed that out to you? Um, you might have been actually. You might have been. Um, even Ga- even Garth doesn't like it, and he normally and he's one of those outsiders who seems to think that New Japan is still good, <laughs> uh, which it isn't. It, it just isn't. <laughs> it's um, the attendance for Corican, um for Stardom, not just because it outdrew New Japan again, which is fantastic for Stardom. Um, it was slower than the last Corican um, from the 7th of March, which was 502 people. In fact, 464 is the lowest Corican since the 28th of September, which was the five-star special in Tokyo with the Julia and Siori versus Mayu and Tam tag match, which only drew 407 people. I'm not going to talk about that too much, Um but I did some calculations just because I was bored. Um, and the average attendance at Corican for stardom since since the pandemic era, so going from the stardom Cinderella tournament, I'm not counting no people gate, the average attendance has been 519, <laughs> which I think is a relatively healthy number. Um, there's been a number of sellouts, you know, looking at 713 as the magic sellout number at Corican. And there's been a number that we're getting close. You've got, you know, the five-star finals, which drew 677 and things like that. I just thought it was quite interesting to see where this fell in terms of 
Corican shows that they've run in the past. And the reason that I checked was because on paper, this looked like a really weak Corican card. And I think we spoke about this on the last episode, that looking at it, there was very little to get excited about. I mean, yeah, but also... I, I, I'm saying this every fucking... Corrikins aren't Corrikins anymore. Like, Yokohama, even Budokan, they're what they're aiming for for Corrikins now. Yeah, absolutely. But, that being said, I actually really enjoyed myself on this show. I thought this show was really, really good, to be fair. But the show was fun. Um, went by in a flash. Nothing that made it onto my uh, match of the year list, but didn't feel like my time was wasted which is the most important thing for a show it's amazing how many shows don't achieve that nowadays <laughs> i think we're going to disagree on a couple of matches then that should be quite interesting but let's move on to the actual show match one future of stardom championship match the champion Saeeda defeated ruaka at 10 minutes and 27 seconds with what used to be called the diamond dust is now called the Eda rock um chris i think diamond dust is a better name <laughs> I personally prefer Diamond Dust as well. Um, Eda Rock sounds like a super, uh, super Nintendo accessory from the 90s. It sounds like a Flintstones village. But <laughs> Flintstones um, is weird because it just takes random things and replaces it with rock. <laughs> I haven't watched the Flintstones in fucking years. I used to like. I used to fall asleep to VHS tapes when I was a kid, and Flintstones was a favorite there. It was and great. In hindsight, it's definitely not appropriate for five years. Oh, 100% not. No, absolutely not. Um, there used to be a show with animatronic dinosaurs, and they were a family of dinosaurs. And I can't remember <laughs> what the show was called, but you I just... You were really hoping I'd know what it was there, weren't you? I, no, I just remember they were animatronic dinosaurs, and the dad wore, like, a red and black shirt, but it creeped the living fuck out of me. And I'm like, oh, I must know- have been like four or five at the time. So if anyone knows what it was called, please. T- it starts you- with like his footsteps and then he enters the house. That that was the intro package. So if anyone from those really shit details can tell me what it was, that'd be great. You know what scared the fuck out of me as a kid was the lion and the bear from the Teletubbies. The lion in Teletubbies? Yeah, there was a lion and a bear in Teletubbies and we screamed and it was fucking terrifying. I can't watch it to this day. It's so fucking scary. More terrifying than the baby in the sun. Of the ba- I, 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 I myself was a baby, so I didn't actually see any <laughs> problem with that. <laughs> um, bring your screeching back to the... How the fuck did we get to that? Um, what did you think of this match? It was good. Um, Sirena's very good at holding the... Future Stardom should be in, which is like good but not great because you're still learning. Um, Raka made a decent account of herself there. Um, again, being going from no one's favorite child a few months ago to basically everyone's favorite child. Although the children have had a growth spurt recently, and I'm not sure how to feel about it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was good, nothing special, but I've, I've, I've had worse 10 minutes. Um, it was a really solid encounter that actually did more than I thought it would. Because looking at it again, it's very much a eh sort of match. But Ruaka was never winning this, um, especially when no members of Uida Tai came out with her to distract either. But without being overtly flashy, she did the basics. 
very, very well and help construct a a good match. Um, you know, there was the freezer splash spot, which is a callback to their previous encounter. Um, and she offers something completely different to the other children. If you look at Hannon, Hina, and Rena, Ruaka stands out as something completely different. Ruaka stands out as a sort of Sayarid and Natsukatora, that sort of build, that heavy hitter, which, in my opinion, makes her stand out. And this, it's certainly the best I've seen Ruaka since I've started watching Stardom. Um, I don't think it touches anyone's match of the year, and I don't think anyone thought that it would. But it certainly wasn't a bad match. It was quite enjoyable. Um, I gave it two and three quarters. I thought Ruwaka did really, really well. Nothing overtly flashy, but that doesn't matter because ultimately that's not Ruwaka's style, Chris. I give it three and a quarter. I'm surprised that we differed so much. Wow. Okay, fair enough. Go Ruwaka, who, again, has really improved since her transition to uh, to Uedatai, so well done, you. Just stop smoking, kid. It's not good for you. Three-way action then next with Natsupoi defeating Lady C. Pardon me. Lady C and Go Kick and Death at 4 minutes and 27 seconds with Backlash. Chris, opinion please. Um, have you seen the other three ways with Lady C and Go Kick and Death? And I know you have. Um, it's that. You know uh, I and it's, You know it's I have. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it was... It had enough death shenanigans... That and enough moments of humor to make this passable, if not forgettable, is how I would best describe it. The triple rolling pins were entertaining, though. If it would have actually gone to the pinfall, it would have been interesting because I'm not entirely sure who would have been given the pin, but that's by the by. Um, the one moment of real wrestling class was Natsupo using Lady C's keeled over body to hit a shining wizard on death. That That's pretty much the best moment of the match. Um, I mean, even the closing stretch seemed a little bit clunky. Um, Natsupoi just didn't seem to know which rope to come off to hit the backlash. And I don't know if that's because Lady C was in the wrong position or what happened, but it was important for Natsupoi to get the win, especially after she's had two shows off with uh, the injury that she's got and, you know, preparing for her upcoming title matches. I gave it two stars. I did well it. It's a death match. I didn't like a death match, not a death match. I, I... You make this joke every time. I just realised that people might get confused. God damn it, Chris. Anyway. Um, I said that really sexy. No, you didn't. Anyway. Oh, but anyway. I was like, God damn it, Chris wasn't sexy at all. I, like... Oh, no. No, that was... That like, was I've never been, I like, I've never been more flaccid in my life. <laughs> uh, match three, then. Tag team action. Donna Del Mondo team of Micah and Himika defeated the Queen's Quest team of the returning Hina and Yutami Hayashita in 11 minutes and 17 seconds with the JP Coaster. Um, Chris, what was your opinion of this match? Um, Hina's had a growth spurt. She has. Absolutely, she has. And new gear as well. Yeah. I, d- I didn't know if new gear. I was too busy gone. When did you fucking grow? It's like a... It's like how I didn't see my nieces for like two months um, when we first went to lockdown. First time I see them, they're like fucking little giants. And I'm like, what the fuck happened to you two? You wee shit. But um, I, I hold contempt for all the young members of my family. Um, but it's fine. Itami shouldn't have been in a match with, with a child so she didn't have to take the L. Like, again, people keep complaining about the Momo. 
downfall. I think the fact that they're doing it, um, they're not booking Utami, that Utami strong while she's champion. She's book, being booked less strong than ever she's champion than she was pre-champion. It's a weird one. I know. I think she, they were sort of hamstrung in their booking of this show in the fact that the remaining members of Queen's Quest were in the main event for the Artist of Stardom title, which sort of, it, it leaves you, Tommy, either to have, again, a random three-way or a throwaway singles match, which, you know, they're not really going to do if it's not for the belt, or you have Utami and Hina go over, which, you know, Hina is in there to take the pin. So here I sort of empathise. Usually we can see where they should have reshuffled the card, because for me, I, there's been no real exchange between Utami and B in a while, so have this happen, you know, have it on this card. But, you know, I suppose if you do that, you're going to have... Donna Del Mondo having a tag team match against each other, so I I do sort of understand why this, why they are where they are, if that makes sense. Get it? I I don't know. At that point, just reach out for the whole card. I mean, does did the artist belt need to headline this mat this card? Maybe not. Um, it was a great match. Spoiler. Um, but that does give you more to do with the remaining members of Queen's Quest, and that way then you can have, you know, Cosmic Angels taking on Julia and Suri or something like that, and then have B and Konami versus Utami and, I don't know, a Momo or a Sayakamitani in the main event, so that we've got some exchange between Utami and uh, B before their Red Belt match. But irrelevant of that and irrelevant of the booking of Utami, the match itself was very good. Um, Hina didn't look like she'd missed a step. She fit very well into the match dynamic. Himika and Micah are improving as a tag team every single time I see them. Their quick tags and isolation of Hina was great. Utami's hot tag was really, really good. Um, I just would have liked to have seen Utami in a more prevalent position. But give Stardom credit. They couldn't do a lot with this card with what they booked. So I'll let them off, Chris. Um, you're right. Himika and Micah are getting better as a team. Especially in Budokan, they were getting outperformed by Tora and Saki in terms of chemistry I mean didn't have that didn't happen here but then again it's Utami and the child so but it'd been weird if it did so yeah it, it was a fine match I'm still not overly happy about the booking of Utami but what would you yeah. give, what would you give it out of five then two and three quarter that's exactly what I gave it um we then move on to six woman tag action with the returning Hannon uh, with Mayu and Starlight Kid defeating the Oida Tai team of Tora, Saki Kishima, and the returning Rina in 30 minutes and 13 seconds, with Hannon um, submitting Rina with the jumping armbar. Chris, what did you think of this match? Good. I, like if the way it set up was a good was clever because you had two kids, so you couldn't tell who was going to win. Like, that's a problem. Like, normally there's only one kid on one side, and you're like, well, they're definitely losing. Hmm. But but here, it's like, yeah, we didn't know who was going to win. It's it's sort of the same thought I have with every start of the a time match. It was good, but didn't go as far as it could have because they're saving a lot of the big stuff for Yokohama. So, I, I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm increasingly enjoying the spots between Saki and Mei. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I feel the heat is there, but I didn't quite feel in their no people gate thing last year. 
So that that's getting better. Um, Hannon is getting better. Like she's not flashy or anything, but she's like solid. Her fundamentals are there. Um, yeah, that's basically it. Starlight continues to be really good. I think it's Which a case will... of aside from Hannon and Rena's return, if you've seen one exchange between stars and a weeder tie in the last couple of weeks, you've seen every exchange them, between yeah. stars and a weeder tie. Um, the only real thing, and it wasn't even, it doesn't really add much, um, but the closing exchange between Mayu and Tora, Tora saying about how we don't actually want anyone from stars in our unit. We just want to disrupt your unit. I thought that is the sort of organized chaos that a weeder tie should bring. And I thought yeah, that's a I've... far better message to send as the heel Sable. Yeah, exactly. And like, we're just going to abuse whoever they bring, bring over. It Do will it, be I... interesting, Chris, to well, see like... the dynamic. Who will be the pin eater or who will be <laughs> the in the hierarchy of a Wiedertai, who comes higher, Ruwaka or Rina? I assume Ruwaka. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that could just be because they were pushing her for the future of stardom and because her heel turns fresher. Who knows? What do you think? I'm not sure. One thing I need to ask for clarification: Do they? Do the other side get to pick who go forward, or do the losing team pick who leaves? No, it's the way it works. It's an elimination match, a five-on-five elimination match. Oh right, match. yeah, yeah. Of course, I just realised. Sorry, I'm no, sorry. Right. Don't worry. Um. <laughs> so basically, yeah. if you don't want to leave a unit, just get DQ'd instantly. So then, plays into doesn't matter. Oedetai's hand. That does play into Oedetai's hand, and I can see that happening. I mean. I hope this isn't going to boil down, and please, this is not any disrespect to the children. But if this, if this, if this is just going to be a default that Rena or Riwaka goes back over, or Death just reverts back to Goki and Death, it's just a bit. Oof, oof. It'll fall a bit flat, to be perfect. It'd be great if someone like a Starlight Kid ends up going over and turns into, I don't know, Dark Tiger or something like that. How amazing would that be? Um... I don't know whether it'll happen, but it'd be a cool way of uh, Starlight Kid becoming less Starlight Kid, if that makes sense. <laughs> less, less why me, babyface, and more. I like, I like you, kid. Stop being happy. <laughs> um, I gave it two and three quarter stars again. It, it, it's, it's the same. It's a solid exchange, but it's also similar to every exchange we've seen between the two. In the words of Luna Lovegood, it was exceptionally ordinary. Correct. These two matches, I think, are where we're going to differ. So we start with the semi-main with Julia and Suri defeating the Black Widows team of uh, B. Priestley and Konami at 17 minutes and 43 seconds with the buzz saw kick. Chris, talk to me about this match. I enjoyed it. I'm enjoying Shiri basically dressing like Julia to fit in. I do I do like the dynamic these two have. It's tremendous. Yeah. Um wearing a UFC top put, to put over a background. Just That's how legitimate she is, yep. Amazing. Yep, um I looked it up, it's not the top she wore in UFC, but you know, we can't get everything we want. Um the exchanges between Shiri and Konami were obviously great. That initial that initial exchange was tremendous. Um, after that, it descended to your standard tag match. But every time Shiri and Konami were in the ring together, I was there for that. Mm. Um, every time B and Julia was in the ring, it was okay. Julia's hair's growing back faster than I expected. 
Yeah, I do. I do like the shaved sides that she's got going on. The patterns in the sides, going full Suzuki. Have you seen a picture of DDM where someone's photoshopped in Suzuki's face? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> and what's worrying is he goes really well on Julia's body. It does. Like I'm just looking at it, going, "No, Suzuki. Suzuki's a weird one because he posts pictures of his socks on Twitter and then like wears gato moves." Um, and I'm like, stop being wholesome. What the fuck? <laughs> Damn it, it's like, so hard to be scared of you. No, no, that's the thing. I'm still, it makes him more scary, and I don't know why. It's like if you saw, I don't know. I know, it's like if you saw Sauron from Lord of the Rings wearing glasses. What? I, I, that's probably not the best. I think I got the name wrong. Um, I know, it's like if Darth Vader was wearing a tutu. That would somehow make him more scary. What? Like I'm um, it's like in Doctor Who, the colourful Daleks are the scariest Daleks. Okay. I, I I honestly don't know how to respond to any of these analogies. Get on my level, scrub. Wow. Um <laughs> I actually thought B Priestley looked very, very good here. And I think her exchanges with Julia, because two of you know, you've got two very submission-heavy wrestlers in Suri and Konami, especially when they're wrestling each other. It's either kicks or submissions, and I'm just I'm here for that. B and Julia offered something a little bit different, and I thought they did it very well in this match. It's one of the better outings I've seen for B in a long time. My issue was it went a, it went a touch long, but that that's just personal preference. The overall match I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed. Um, it. It just misses out on four stars for me. I enjoyed it that much. Um, and I think part of that is the dynamic between Suri and Konami and the dynamic between Julia and Suri as a team. They just feel really good as a team. What about you, Chris? Um, yeah, Julia and Suri are melding well. Actually, I've been pretty sure we've had tag tail matches before. But yeah, um, they're melding well. Going over the former tag champs makes sense on the road to... Well, facing the current tag champs. Yeah, agreed. So, like, everything sort of fit in well here. The match was good. You're correct. It was long. It could have been trimmed, but that's a nitpick. It didn't. I I didn't feel slogged down while watching it. Well, overly slogged down. Like, I it got like to a minute before the end. It's like, all right, lads, wrap it up, and we wrapped it up. So, yeah, not too bad. B did look decent here. Like, she's. Like, it's weird, because she's continually getting better. Yes, definitely. Which is weird, because she was already pretty decent when I started watching, like, two years ago. So, mm. um, yeah, no real issue. I still think being Konami is a weird team dynamic. Because um... you sort of have, like, the shooter and then the loudmouth weep. <laughs> Um, no, I get, I get that. I, I think it's I think it's unfair to distill B as a loudmouth dweeb. I think if I didn't say dweeb, I said weeb. Well, even so, I think if <laughs> I think if she wrestled like Saki, then that would be better. So the chicken shit heel who That's sort of I, the sneak. I think victories. B and Saki go better together for a tag team. I'd be there for that. I'd be there for that tag team. I'll be perfectly honest. But you know, I, I like the dynamic between B and Konami. I think they took a bit of getting used to. Um, those initial matches in the tag league were 
okay, but not great. And then they sort of randomly just started putting on really good matches towards the end. Um, but yeah, overall, I thought this was good. I gave it three and three quarters, Chris. I gave it three. Main event then. Artist of Stardom Championship match, the third title defense for Cosmic Angels. Cosmic Angels team of Mina, Tam, and Yunagi defeating the number one contenders, Queen's Quest, Azumi, Momo Watanabe, and Saya Kamatani at 20 minutes and 35 seconds. Tam pinning Momo after the Tiger suplex. Uh, I'm just going to put this out there, Chris. I loved this match. I thought this was great. It's very good. I had a good sense of escalation. Um, I think I was harsh on it, saying it didn't make up my match for year, Fred. When I kept thinking about it, it's like, actually, nah, a lot of shit fucked. We didn't have a back fist, which should always land a Mina match on <laughs> my match of healer. Um, it's weird, because Unagi and Mina sort of struggle in singles action, but they're really good in a tag setting. They're really good uh, like coming in, doing their shit, and leaving. Mm. Like, they're the, they're the plumbers of Stardom. <laughs> It's like, no talking, no tea, just fix it and leave. That's um, what I want their team to be called. The Plumbers. plumbers. Cosmic Plumbers. Cosmic Plumbers. <laughs> sounds, like Douglas Adams. It sounds like a Douglas Adams thing. It does. It does. It, oh, um, God. Uh, Queen's Quest always deliver in big matches, but in terms of like a faction, they're probably the most consistently great. Like Azumi, Momo, Saya, and Utami. Like if I was to rate all the factions members out of ten, Queen Quest would probably have the highest um, average. Yeah, I think I think it definitely between those and Donna Del Mondo. Yeah, but thing is with DDM, you have people like Himiko and Maika who are still kind of finding their fo- footing. Mm. So like that would drag them down a little bit. Whereas the only like in in this one, I'm excluding the kids because it's unfair to include the kids in yeah. grading right now. But um yeah, it's like Tam was obviously one of the highlights, as was Azumi. Every time but Tam and Azumi are weirdly a really good pairing. They are actually. They are, which is why I've got a theory. <laughs> you always have a theory. You love my theories though. A game theory. Um are you, I think you do you ever watch game theory or are you a bit too old for it? Why? Why say that? <laughs> that seems like a really unnecessary way to kick me when I'm down. I'm not trying to kick you. It's just that, like, game theory was like for people like who are like a teenager in like the early 2010s, which you weren't. What's your point here, Chris? <laughs> I was just seeing if you got the reference. I'm sorry, Jesus. Um... Yeah, Sire is really good in six months as well. Actually, all these people are really good in six months. It's hard to explain when a six man's really good mm. because it it's just kind of a case of, oh, it started out good and then got went higher. It's not the same reason I liked the Stars match from a few weeks ago. Yeah. So, I don't know what... It's, it's like, it's going to be the same when we got into the high-speed match in a second. It's like, I'm running out of ways to explain why Stardom six months work. They just do. Like if your six if your six man belts aren't at this consistent level of very good, because at the end of the day, for a match of this length with this many people to work, each person only needs to do about two or three things. True. So True. that's that's just what happened. I mean, didn't and it got it got contrived by the end. But at that point, you're so into it, but it doesn't pull you out of the match. They put they put like the big contrived shit right at the right points, and yeah, just 
really good. I wish Queen's Quest were getting pushed a tiny bit more because they have nothing going on going into Yokohama. I think Tam did a lot of the heavy lifting in this match. I didn't quite expect Tam to be in the ring as much as she was, but the closing segment between her and Momo was tremendous. Um, Real shout-out to Mina Shirakawa, who I know that we shit on a lot at the start of her her tenure with stardom. I thought here she had renewed tenacity, renewed fire. Everything that she did seemed a little bit crisper. Um, mm-hmm. She stopped slapping the thigh for the back fist, which is an added bonus. <laughs> it looks, it just instantly looks more impactful when she does it. Um, there's a moment where she caught one of, I can't remember if it was Azumi or Momo, caught one of the kicks and transitioned it beautifully into this swinging net breaker. It looked excellent. It was smooth, it was smooth yeah. as bollocks. And like She's... I say, go on. She's still a good babyface in peril as well. She's just learning to get that offense in. It's for like one thing Unagi's still sort of lacking in, and that the offense from Unagi is like one of the weaker parts of this match because she's still kind of not great at it. And that's actually something I wanted to talk about with with Unagi in respect to Unagi. Sorry, we talked about how she seemed. You know, she's got her offense and that is it, and she hasn't really progressed in bringing anything else in. And actually, the effect, the offense that she's got, whereas in Quite a few of the matches seems she does it to go through the motions almost. Here it was done. It was I don't know whether it's because Cosmic Angels is um chemistry is just improving every single match. Like I loved the Cosmic Angels versus Stars match on the previ- previous previous I thought this was better. I I think the team chemistry is coming on. I think the um team offense is improving everything seems quicker seems crisper and Yunagi's benefiting from that because that exchange that she had with Saya Kamatani in preparation for their singles match at Yokohama I thought they had some real fire some real aggression and that's something we've wanted to see on offense for Yunagi we know she can play the babyface in peril as can Mina but whereas Mina is improving her offense becoming more fiery babyface Yunagi sort of isn't quite, and this is the first example where I can honestly say, actually, she came in and she meant to hurt someone with this offense, and she came in crisply and came in quickly and did it without thinking and did it without stopping, which is the first time I've seen her do that. And actually, I'm, I am on board with Cosmic Angels. Mwah. <laughs> that last bit wasn't necessary. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Um, but no, I, in all seriousness, I really enjoyed this match. All three of the members of Queen's Quest are tremendous Queen's Quest that are in this match. Azumi is awesome, and I cannot wait for her monster push to come. Momo is Momo. She's never going to put on a bad match. She was the penny to here, which I thought was a bit unnecessary. But, you know, ultimately, well, between her and Tam, it was a wonderful exchange, so I'm not going to complain too much. Who else would you have take the pin, though? Because I, I mean, she just had a red belt match. But we spoke about in previous podcasts about, yep, she's had a red belt match now. It doesn't mean you've got to protect her for the rest of the year. Starlight no. had a white belt match. She got pinned the next show. I'd argue having um, getting pinned in a six-person tag isn't that big a deal because it's so chaotic. Even so, even so, when you consider Momo's absolutely fucking dreadful record <laughs> it it does seem a little bit strange it does seem I, I don't know i think that saya for me you had three people who were in there to take the pin and 
Momo wasn't on my... It doesn't take away from the match, and to be perfect, it's not a massive plot hole for me, if I'm honest. It worked because Tam and Momo's exchange, like I've said, was amazing. That release Tequila Sunrise, where Momo just basically dropped Tam on her head, was grotesque, but also really, really good to watch. Um, Ultimately, and I know you're going to disagree, I gave this four stars. I really, 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 really enjoyed this. In the course of talking about this match, I've turned myself around on it. <laughs> yeah, and you've done this a couple of times, though. The more you vocalise it, you're like, actually, yeah, this was actually a good match. Yeah, and yeah, this was... I I actually agree with the four now. Yeah, I, like, I think it was really, really fun. And do you know what? 20 minutes and 35 seconds, it didn't feel 20 minutes at all. No, because it just kept moving. I think that's the problem... That's the problem with the New Japan one, where we don't put... We can't, like... They can't put in the good talent because they don't want to waste the good talent on these six man belts. Yeah. Like they've, they get slightly better about that recently, but also like everything in New Japan, while they're getting better about that, has gotten worse. So it's not really worth it. Um, but here, they have to put in like Tam, Azumi, Momo into this division because they don't have the roster depth to do anything else, mm. which could be a good or bad thing. In the specific case of the artist titles, I think it's a good thing. Um, it's not the same in DDT actually, and it's really good there. But I'd argue the last couple artist match have been better than the DDT six months. So yeah, really good. We closed off this match with and the night with Natsupoi coming out. Obviously, she is challenging for the Wonder of Stardom belt, the Y belt at Yokohama. It's the most intense I've seen Natsupoi, and I think when it was announced that she'd be challenging for the Y belt, it was met with quite a lot of apathy. Um by Stardom fans, and even though Tam versus Natsupoi is going to be an outright banger, we we know it is going to be an outright banger, um, because Tam seems incapable of not having bangers at the moment, but it was nice to see that intense side of Natsupoi. You know, she dug her heel into the back of Tam's lead and make, made her kneel in front of her. I thought, that is fucking great. I love that. Just that little bit. She was talking about how you always talk about hardships and stuff. Well, I don't have to alluding to, you know, what she's had to do to get here and, you know, alluding to the past relationship she had with Tam and At-Res Girls. I, it was a really short promo. You know, it didn't do anything major, but it at least cemented Natsupoy as someone who doesn't just do the poi thing and sit on someone's knee and look cute. She actually looked like a legitimate challenger. And this she was how... Ought- Go on. She also has a stick. She does have a stick. Oh, my God. She also does have a stick. And... <laughs> the stick make you that angry? <laughs> no, I'm holding a pen, and I was doing the stick thing. <laughs> I was trying to twiddle the stick, and I hit my grill of uh, my no... microphone. But why? No one can see you doing it. Do you know what? It's for my own personal satisfaction, Chris. There's lots of things I do on these podcasts that no one sees, and personally, I think I should record them because they are a gem. Uh, do you ever have, like... Do you ever have a thing where you lose a pen and then it's just like gone from this ethereal plane? Like it's just completely gone from this dimension? Yeah, 100%. Coins, okay. pens. Guitar picks. Guita- oh my God, guitar picks are the worst thing in the world. You the know, worst you know thing. You know what? So I was rearranging my room a couple of weeks ago. So like to actually make it livable. And um, I have this like little Sergeant Pepper smoker's tin that I keep my um, guitar picks in. I lost a fucking tin. So I, I had to scramble throughout my whole room <laughs> to find the fucking tin. Do you know where my tin was on top of my computer? 
Of course it was. Of course it was. How did I miss it? My computer is in plain sight and it's a big fucking Sergeant Pepper tin. My girlfriend always moans at me because I'm a tall person and therefore everything I put is in tall person places. So whenever we lose something, it is inherently on top of the fridge or on top of the cupboards where she can't reach because she is moderately sized. I mean, like, I think it's the privilege of the tall to hide things from the small. Absolutely. It's our our want in life. Yeah, because we're both roughly the same height. And it's always hilarious whenever we see Gaff because it's like we could probably both just use him as a leaning post. We like look, the, we look like we're l- yeah, absolutely. It looks like we're quite literally taking a Hobbit to Isengard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we take, we take too much advantage of the fact that Gaff doesn't listen to this podcast. Yeah, and he never will, which is great. Um, so we moved on from this, and we talked about Natsupoy's um, promo, and that you know her sort of status as a challenger and I think it was cemented by the match she had in the day show of the 28th now we're not going to review this entire card because we haven't seen the matches we just want to talk about the main event which was the high speed title match Um, so this is from the 28th of March the stardom in Osaka show Eddie and Arena Osaka 2 in front of 285 people these two shows of course are going to have the unit tournament finals um, where they basically run out of things to put on the show, so they just decided to do a six-man tournament. Um, the main event of this show was the high-speed title match with Natsupoi defeating Starlight Kid at 12 minutes and 11 seconds with the Fairy Train, which is the name of her cross-jacket suplex. Um, Chris, I imagine this match is fairly freshly ingrained in your mind. What did you think of it? Okay, so... I want to hear a, th- a weird thought I had during this match. I mean, you say this, you're going to tell me anyway, irrelevant of what I say. So yes, go on. Um, so here's the thing. You know how sometimes someone will not play by the spirit of a division and then completely break it in half? Like how Dak Draper did that to the pure division recently. What would happen if someone went into the high-speed division and just started doing chin locks? <laughs> Um, I think it could be an interesting dynamic if done right. I just don't have any faith that it will be done right. It might have to force a ruling from Stardom Management. It it might have to. <laughs> I mean, thank God that didn't happen here. But because uh, other standard, because other high speed divisions, from what I'm told, have like rule sets, like you need to like run and hit the ropes before doing a pin. I don't. Like, I understand why we don't do it, because it kind of limits how you can end the match. Yeah. Like, you can't really do flash pins and stuff, which is what the high-speed division is based off of. It just seems to be, a, like, an unspoken bond thing, where it's like, okay, just be fast. <laughs> um, um, go on, what's your thing, I, I, though? Um, I, I enjoyed it. It's, I, I preferred it, actually, to the Azumi match from um, Budokan. This yeah, is, me too. This was a really good match. Um, they just never let up. Starlight conveys so much personality despite having most of her face behind a mask. Oh, um, she's improved that... so much. Oh, it's incredible how much she's improved. And she's added that top rope moonsault. Great. Better than Sonata's. Everything's better than Sonata. Fuck Sonata. Anyway. Um, yeah, just Nancy Point made a really good account of herself. I'm kind of sad this wasn't on the bigger show. I like... I understand the way we've booked it, but kind of not many other options for Tam. 
apart from the fact that both Momo and Azumi are going after cosmic a- other members of Cosmic Angels, which is weird. Mm. Um, so maybe just it, it, we'll go into that when we go into Yokohama. But yeah, this was just very good. Not not befitting being on a Osaka Day show in front of apparently two hundred and eighty five people, but looking at the arena, I'm pretty sure that's 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 like um that's bolstered a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I don't... It, it certainly didn't look like there was 285 people there. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what the day, sh- what the night show pulled in, apparently. So let's have a look. Evening show. It's apparently... See, the evening show apparently only pulled in 227. So there we are. People have um, shit to do. We have to party? I don't know. <laughs> Can we? I don't know. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Do we have to work? I don't know. Why am I thinking about the personal lives of stardom audiences? Um... Yeah, it's. I'm running out of ways to praise, <laughs> to praise high speed matches, because like there's not really depth there. It's it's just kind of balls to the wall, fun, the balls to the wall fun. Yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's hard to it's disagree like, with you. It's like trying to explain your enjoyment of a James Bond movie. It's like there's nothing deep there, right? I don't know why I picked James Bond. That's probably the worst example I could have picked. Um, it's like I'm looking at my DVD collection. One sec. It's like trying to explain your enjoyment of. It's like an MCU film. You just sit there and you're along for the ride for for runtime. Yeah, I I can see where you're coming from. If even if it's not a bit convoluted, but I understand where you're coming from. I thought in 12 minutes they managed to do a lot. There was a Brilliant visual or a brilliant callback early on in the match. Um, as Starlight went for that fantastic moonsault, best in the business, um, she stood on Natsupoi. And towards the end of the match, Natsupoi does the same to Starlight, but Starlight grabs her ankle and is like, Come on, please don't do this. Please don't do it. And then she hits whatever move it was from the top rope. I think it was the rounding body press um, to get the near fall. But the expression and the emotion, like you said, about the way that Starlight is approaching these matches and the fact that she is starting to integrate this, not necessarily bratty, but sort of fiery edge to her character is doing wonders for her matches. She's no longer just a high-speed person. She's got... I mean, she put on that fucking banger against Julia, which is still a lot of people's uh, match of the year in Stardom, mine included where because she was able to convey such emotion, uh, because her moveset has improved so much, it's not simply a high-speed moveset. There's so much more. The strikes, the storytelling, there is so much more. Um, Natsupoi, now that she's been given the chance, I think she's doing tremendously well. We talked before Budokan about how Natsupoi's booking was basically non-existent leading into the show, which is why it was... A little bit of a surprise that she was the one to take the belt off Azumi. But since then, she's done remarkably well. Um, I think that her match with Tam is going to be an absolute banger. Um, You like peaks and valleys in your wrestling, Chris. You always say you like peaks and valleys in your wrestling. It started off hot as bollocks, which we knew it would. It slowed down a little bit in the middle where we had that more than just the high speed stuff which was great it wasn't boring by any stretch of the imagination it just slowed down it was like watching a fire pro match 
Exactly, they did, but it didn't felt for it didn't feel forced, which some of them mm. do. Um, and then we had a fantastic closing stretch. And what I loved about the closing stretch was that we we had the typical um, high speed roll, 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 roll with the pinning, but it didn't mm. look clean. It was very, it was aggressive. It was rushed. It was rushed. It was aggressive. It was untidy. And that gave it so much more legitimacy in my eyes than the clean bits that we do in every high-speed match. Because to be honest, I'm starting to get annoyed with seeing it in every match. But this was different. I should point out that it's not like clean in a way of a bad wrestler. Like It's not like we're watching Brie Bella going for a roll up it's a case of it's done quickly it's like done quickly and not cleanly because they want to quickly put this match away exactly exactly it was done and it was done with emotion as opposed to it just being at the next move and that's really important and that's where i think starlight kid has massively massively improved um i'd be amazed if she doesn't get most improved wrestler at the end of year stardom cast awards Didn't she um, win no well, most improved i believe was saya kamatani Ah, well, to be fair, that's probably fair. which, anyway, which, yeah. which makes sense. Um, ultimately, though, Chris, what did you give this match? Four. I really enjoyed it. Probably oh. the best high speed match since May Hoshizuki last year. I actually preferred it to May Hoshizuki. I think for me, it's the best high speed match since Starlight and Azumi. Yeah, but I don't think anything, like despite the fact I'm, I've given basically every big high speed match roughly the same score. I still think nothing's going to beat that in terms of because there's actual mo- there's more emotion there given their pass together. Mm. Um, in terms of, sorry, just going back to um, the most improved, Starlight Kid um, wasn't in the top three for the most improved wrestler of the year 2021. So it was Sai Kamatani, Julia, and Sai Rita as the top three. Ah, that, that, that makes sense. So uh, it'll be interesting to see where she places this year because, in my opinion, she has just. She she improved massively in 2020, but how she's come from where she was to where she is now, and I know there's been there's been quite a lot of people who've said. I mean, it was even referenced in um, in the post match between the pair that this is her seventh attempt at the high speed belt, seventh, and she hasn't got it yet. And someone was saying, I can't remember who it was. Someone on Twitter was saying, how can someone who's as tenured as Starlight Kid is, which she is when you think about how young she is, but how long she's been with the company. And then she is she hasn't had a singles belt, but Mina and um Yunagi have both got the artist belts and have basically, you know, they've been put potentially higher up than they should have been. And in my opinion, you look at what Starlight Kid's done. I think Starlight Kid having the white belt match, having that high profile match with Julia at Corican, um being the face of that show celebrating Mayu's 10th anniversary, they clearly hold a lot of stock in Starlight Kid. And again, she is 20 years old. Mina and Yunagi are 31. There is 11 years difference. There is so much time for Starlight Kid to become a huge deal in stardom. There's so much time. And I genuinely do believe that once she has evolved, Pokey evolved, if you will, to coin a phrase from one of our uh, Twitter followers, into that next phase of Starlight Kid, whether it be Sky Tiger or whatever it be. Or Venusaur. Or Venusaur, absolutely. Charmeleon, whoever she evolves into. Charmeleon, you basic bitch. (laughs) 
I do genuinely believe that she will be a future of, uh, a future red belt champion. No doubt about it. Yeah. Um, because she, she is that good. Yeah, but, and she's someone, just because of her basically being... Un, un, unless they, once it opens up again, they start bringing in some luchadors. Mm. Um, the only masked wrestler in stardom. Like, just having a cool mask and a poster, you see it all the time. Like, like I, f- I think a lot of the reason for companies like AWWE have luchadors mm. is so they can have a cool mask and a poster because it's just, well, cool. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Dragon Gate have got Sean Skywalker. He's on top of the company at the moment. So, yeah. you know, sort of proves your point. Um, I think being with May. New Japan have Bushi. And New Japan have Bushi, exactly. So the circle <laughs> is complete. Um, I think that being with Mayu as much as she is, you know, in tags, they teamed together in the tag league last year. She is picking up things about storytelling and selling and things like that. And her offense is becoming a lot more heavy hitter and, you know, less, less throwaway which it was towards the start of 2020. She's put on a tremendous amount of muscle. You can tell in her body shape how much work she's putting in. I mean, her Instagram is full of stuff of her at the gym and everything. So she's putting in the work and you can really see her reaping the benefits. So keep your eye on Starlight Kid. She's uh, she's certainly one for the future. Um, Let's have a look then. So the last two things we want to talk about are the Yokohama Dream Cinderella shows, uh, show, not shows, and then just talk briefly about the Cinderella winner um, or who we think our early predictions are for the Cinderella tournament. So going through the card then for Yokohama Cinderella, which me and Chris will be watching live on Samurai TV. So if you want to join us and have our live takes, then come and join our Discord. The link is in the podcast description. Um, and then we will be reviewing it that night. So on the um, night... Quick, quick note, um, you're going to... When you get into Discord, don't put the spoilers in the main stardom chat, put it in the live event spoilers chat. There is a live event spoilers channel. Please put it in there. We endeavour to try and keep them there. Um, but yeah, me and Chris will then, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, we are due to review it on the evening of the 4th. So our review of Yokohama Dream Cinderella 2021 should drop on the 4th of April at 11 o'clock British Standard Time. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, In terms of the card, Chris, let's run through it and give our predictions. So match one, three-way, Azumi versus Lady C versus Hina. Who do we think is walking away with that? I think we both Um, agree with that, to be honest. Yeah, like, I don't don't know why you'd even ask, like, that's pointless. (laughs) Yeah, let's move on, because it's obviously going to be Lady C. Um, match two, Cosmic Angels, Mina Shirakawa taking on Momo Watanabe. I would be absolutely astounded if that's not Momo. I kind of want to... Like, I love Momo, but I kind of want to see her lose just so we can talk about more about how people don't like that Momo are losing. <laughs> you want to poke the bear, is what you're saying? No, I don't want to poke the bear. I just... I'm, I'm sick of talking about Momo. Yeah, actually, I hope she wins just so we don't need to fucking talk about it. Again. I, I, I think Momo has more to gain than Mina at this point. Yeah, this could possibly be Mina's best singles match. Certainly, I mean she she had an absolute belter um, 
in the six woman at Corican. I look forward to seeing a singles match. I say with stakes. There's nothing on the line, but you know, on a bigger shit, on a bigger stage with a person of Momo Watanabe's capabilities. So I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think it could be. Similarly, pardon me. Similarly, I think that the next match. So we've got um, Yunagi Sayaka taking on Saya Kamatani. I genuinely think that this could be Yunagi's best singles match as well because I think she will get far more offense in against Saya Kamatani than against anybody else she's I, competed against. Maybe. I just hope it doesn't follow the same pattern that Unagi followed. Because Unagi definitely has her fans, and I know that because I put up a Sardom tier list and people are like, Unagi in tier D? Yeah, she is. Um, <laughs> finally. Uh, 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 for Garth Burke. Anyway. <laughs> Coward. <laughs> so, because we can agree that her seven-match series followed the same basic structure, got beaten down, hubris, a mixture of hubris and fire yep. helped her get back before being finally put down. I just hope it doesn't follow that pattern. I hope we get something different. Do you think she wins this? No. <laughs> Not do I. <laughs> I, think, I think she'll come close. I think it'll be the closest match she's had singles-wise, but I think, you know, Sai Kamatani is not going to go, you know, to sort of paraphrase what you were saying earlier. She's not going to go from charging for the red belt to being the person that loses to Yanagi. I just, I just don't see it happening personally. We then move on to our first match with real stakes. Match four, it is the elimination match between Stars and Oida Tai with the person, the last person to get pinned or submitted, joining the opposition faction. So you've got Stars, Goki and Death, Hanan. Um, you have got Mayu, Saeeda, and Starlight Kid taking on the Uiditai team of Tora, Konami, Saki Kashima, Ruwaka, and Rina. Um, who do you think is, first of all, Chris, first prediction, who do you think is winning this, Stars or Uiditai? Um, Uiditai. Okay. I think who, there's more story potential if a face goes to a heel faction than if a heel goes to a face faction because then it'll just be them grumbling and grumbling until they feel accepted and yeah this doesn't feel like the end to an all-out war this feels like the next step as opposed to the mm-hmm. end yeah and for that reason i i also think no we tie are we to tie have more to gain from winning this than stars do Ugh. the only thing that sort of makes me think oh, mate, stars have won fucking nothing in this war they won that one match at Corican. It, that's it. That's all they want. Are we the them at every single turn? And I suppose if you want to compound that, you know, that stars feeling of defeat, that constant sense of defeat, then you beat them here as well. Um, I don't see anyone big. And by big, I mean Mayu. You don't see Mayu going over to Are the I just don't. Um, for me, the two that it's going to be between our Goki and Death and Starlight. Yeah. I think it'd be better if Starlight went over. Like, because... Partly because you can physically see the transformation as the mask get da- gets darker. Like, she'll go across the colour spectrum. <laughs> like, at some point, we'll have, like, a keel mask. Yeah. And that'll be her as a tweener. Shadow Starlight. I don't know, it's... Shadow Starlight. Moonlight Kid. The more I think about it, the more it makes sense. 
You think about who is the one who's been most vocal, aside from Mayu, who has been the most vocal about Stars not losing? Who has been the most vocal about their hatred of Oida Tai? Starlight. So you don't want to send Mayu over. She's the head of Stars. Send Starlight. And then that brings this entire new story when Starlight is forced to fight her best friend. It makes it it's almost beautiful. And then you've got Starlight initially not wanting to be a part of a Weeda tie, and then realizing that being part of a Weeda tie is perhaps the way to get that elusive first belt, you know, aside from future. Yeah. I, I that's basically my line of thinking, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's a it's a nice story. It's a nice story. I mean, the chances are they're going to default and get Goku and Death to just go back to Death Yamasan, but it will be interesting. Maybe she'll just turn into Death. Well, it'll just be her name. She'll come down with a hood, a scythe. Um, <laughs> Basically, get off uh, Poundland Evil. Yeah, her finishing move will be the Finger Poker Doom, except it actually kills people and writes them off Stardom. Stardom turns into Lucha Underground and everything's good. There'll be a glove where when you punch someone with a glove, they die. It'll be amazing. Buried a life match, but people are actually buried alive. I'm into it. I mean, to uh, be fair, Paul they London have started doing death matches, so maybe that's pa- the case. Paul London will murder a rabbit with a hammer to appease a lizard. Yeah, and you seem to think that I'll like Lucha Underground. I don't, I don't, know, I don't know where this <laughs> comes from, man. He does do seem to like anything remotely wacky in your wrestling. <laughs> Uh, match five, then Wonder of Stardom Championship match. The champion Tam Nakano taking on the high speed champion Natsupoi. Um, Tam Nakano's winning here, surely. Yeah, it's a it's a fellow defense for her to get the numbers up for her first reign. Yep, should be good. I I think Tam works well when she's running fast. So, hmm. and it would be a much different dynamic from the Julia one, which will make sense. And it's almost your standard. It's almost the standard way to do. At first title run, you saw it with you kind of see it with Okada where he beats Naito and then immediately goes into feeding with Sonata for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's kind of what we're just doing here: we're beating someone else in the faction while other feuds wrap up, and then we'll start getting the more tastier. Like, not that this isn't going to be a good match, but we'll start getting the matches with more layers. I, I think it's a bit of a shame that they've kind of dropped, they've basically dropped the Daz versus Cosmic Angels thing. It almost feels like that was meant to wrap up before Budokan, but then Mina got injured. So I do hope they pick that up again after this. It, it, we talked about this on the last podcast as well, that whole full circle thing about how Tam has to beat Mayu for the Y belt. And it just makes natural storyline progression. Um, I don't think Mayu is winning the Cinderella at all, um, but it would make sense for that first big challenge, no offence to Natsupoi whatsoever, that first big challenge to be Mayu, the person that, you know, there's been all this history with recently, and to have that burnout match. Because, you know, the one singles encounter ended in a time limit draw, which tells me, tells you, tells everyone that there was another match in the bank and they just never got to it. Um, It will be a shame to just throw that on the heap and never come back to it. Um. Do we think we're going to see the Violet Screwdriver in this match? Because we saw it in the Six Woman, and it terrified me. It still scared me as much as it did when he cheated on Julia. That's a point I wanted to bring up. I hope it doesn't become another one of those spots that just gets 
watered down from overuse. I think like the Azumi be... Hurricane runner through the ropes. Yeah, that's, yes, that's I agree. Thing. It should, it should only be pulled out for big matches and a, and a six man tag against Queen's Quest probably isn't that big match. I meant to point it out. I've just read, I've just reread it in my notes, which is why I was oh, fuck. I forgot to mention that. Never mind. It's, um, so like, I hope it doesn't get pulled out. I hope it doesn't get pulled out again for another few months until maybe the five star. Do you know what? Do you know when would be the perfect time to bring that out again? A match against Mayu. Yeah. Who doesn't ooh, have a ooh, neck? Ooh, ooh, that could be a thing because May uh, Mayu doesn't win the Cinderella but beats Tam in the Cinderella. That could be a cool thing. Could be. Could be. Or they go to a draw. Actually, that's probably how they're going to get around the 20 person. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Um, anyway. main, uh, semi-main then. Should be the main, but semi main. Uh, World of Stardom Championship match, Utami versus B Priestley. There are a lot of rumblings, Chris, on our Discord that people seem to think that B is winning this. It's not beyond the realms of possibility. Plus, there's always rumblings on our Discord. We have a very lively community in there. <laughs> have a very rumbly Discord. <laughs> very rumbly Discord. <laughs> Join our rumbly Discord. <laughs> But it doesn't matter what they think at the moment, Chris. It matters what you think. Do you think B is beating Utami here? I think there's a chance, but I generally don't know. After Utami winning the belt, I just don't know with red belt matches anymore. <laughs> like, again, it's very rare that you'll get the climb to the red belt. You kind of just get a red belt win. Like, if you look at the last few winners, it went from, like, Tony Storm, Kagetsu, B Priestley, Maeve. There's been no, like, climb to the belt. I just, I just, I just don't see it. I just don't see it at the moment. I mean, no one saw it when B won a couple of years ago. No, that's true. That's true. But then, you know, if you look back at the argument, and I know it's, it's potentially completely irrelevant. But if you look at the argument that the red belt currently isn't on top of the card because of merch reasons and because they see Julia as a bigger star, is that going to change with Julie with B Priestley as the oh, red belt he- champion? But TB Priestley is a big star because he's recently been on New Japan TV. Okay, I'm going to ask that age-old question though, Chris. <laughs> is she going to is she going to move tickets? Um, who knows? We don't know yet. They did all right. Stardom didn't do badly under her while she was champion. But they weren't trying to sell out. Well, not sell out, but they weren't trying to sell places like Yokohama. Budokan, you know, well, all-star Budokan, Outerwood City Gym. They were trying to draw in that many people. It was just a case of they're in different buildings now because of the plague. I just don't see it. I think if they take the belt off Utami here, then it's been a really disappointing title reign. Yeah, but to be fair, no one's best title reign is over there first. Even so, this feels, like, like, this feels it, um, like a premature end. And that, to be fair, that's for... <laughs> so tempting to make jokes here um, it, but it's the same amount of like nothing's the best on the first attempt I think they just wanted the belt on Itami to go young red belt champion and then move on it's not the best thing but yeah. this match should be good though their match a couple of years ago was good and we've both gone there I just think for someone who you know they've had this mantle of putting future stars in these matches. She had a fantastic match against Micah. She had an even better match 
against Sire, which I think was even better than the most optimistic Stardom fan thought it would be. I think it would be a real shame to then go, yeah, we're going to put it on B now, after not putting her in the main event of this show. And again, whether that is the right booking decision, for me personally, hinges on what happens in the main event. If it is a rudimentary tag defence, then this feels wrong. But we'll talk about that in a second. If I had to push you, do you think B or Utami? Um, if I go in right now, Utami, but B has a chance. I don't think it's as cut, as cut and dried as I first thought it was, but I'm I'm still getting Utami. I think Utami's got more to give as champion. They, they could tell the story of B is Utami's eternal foil, but Utami can't get over. We'll see. We'll see. Main event then. Um, Goddesses of Stardom Championship match. The champions, Micah and Himika, defending against Julia and Suri. It's an inter-unit match, Chris. Donna Del Mondo versus Donna Del Mondo. Who do you see winning this match? Um, Julia versus Suri would be the better choice for me. But also... I know it could it could be a good thing because once again, Saddam don't give a fuck about these belts, so it could be Julia going. I'm starting at a smaller black belt. If they're gonna tell that, but also, it's basically even gonna be that, or possibly Micah and Himika win. Julia gets annoyed and breaks up DDM. I but it, but if like it's just straight up Micah and Himika winning and then nothing else, not really main event worthy. I don't know. I, I I genuinely don't know. I just, I think for Julia to come out of pro, and it could have been Julia just going rogue, to <laughs> even start the story of, I'm going to start from the very bottom now we less than a month ago, and then we're suddenly in the main event of the next arena show. It it doesn't correlate, so something has got to be happening in this show. To be fair, it's following her original um, trajectory, so... I don't see just a straight title match here. Something no. must be happening afterwards. Something must be happening, and whether that is the breakup of DDM, I mean, if it's their biggest cash cow, they're not going to break them up. If it's their no. biggest sort of merch... The revenue, merch-wise, they aren't going to break them up. So, what's going to happen here? Is it just the seeds being sown for a DDM split? You know, is Julia going to get pissed off with the Micah and Himika attention? Is Are we going to see a title change and Micah get jealous of Julia? I just, I don't... Are any of these scenarios main event worthy? I mean... The only thing that I can think of is that they wouldn't want the red belt following something huge. And the only big thing I can think of is DDM splitting up. But then that go that flies directly in the face of they're our biggest cash cows. And that that's just poor business decision. You know, oh that's our biggest uh, that's our biggest seller. Take it off the shelves. What? So I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. I think I think it's going to be a great match. You know, DDM do inter-unit matches very, very well. Second probably only to Queen's Quest. 
So it's not the quality of the match that I have any issue with. Um, it's also not the it's not the fact that Julia is in the main event per se that I have an issue with. Um, I don't. I think Julia is main event worthy. It's the storyline they were going with that is then sort of been disregarded that I have an issue with. In terms of who I think is winning, um, go on, Chris. I'll just go with whoever you've said, but I'll go oh, with the I, opposite of whatever you've said. I'm going with I don't know. <laughs> oh, bastard. Um, so, the, so the opposite to what I said was you giving a very firm answer. Coherent answer. Um, Mine's coherent. It's just not firm. My stance is very clear. I'll have you know. And my stances, I don't fucking know. It's all it. It depends as well as when you're going to insert Julia into the Red Belt program. Mm-hmm. If that's coming sooner rather than later, then do you really want her with the tag gold? But saying that, Utami had the tag gold when she was given the Red Belt. So, um, I don't. I just don't see Micah or Himika pinning Julia or Suri at the moment. If this goes to a time limit fucking draw. <laughs> As a lot of DDM big arena show uh, matches do. Do you know what? I can see that happening. You know, the more I think about it, the more I think they're not going to win. Surely they're not going to close the show on a time limit draw. Surely. Oh, I, I can't see past Julia and Suri. I think it's going to be Julia and Suri to take it. And I think Micah is going to be the person to initiate the breakup of DDM. I mean, if you look at factions, like, you look at factions that would split up at exactly the right time. You look at the Shield in WWE, which is perhaps a weird comparison, but the Shield at the time of the breakup were the biggest thing in WWE that wasn't called CM Punk. So, CM Punk was gone by that point. Oh, I see what you're doing. Never mind. Yeah, I'm joking. Um, they were the biggest thing. You know, and what they did was they broke them up before people got bored of them. So you could argue that that is where they're going with it, but I, I just I just don't know. I, I'm hung up on the fact that something has got to happen for this to be main event worthy. Because otherwise it, it feels very much like we're putting DDM on top because it's DDM and Julia, mm-hmm. which is yeah. unfair on Utami as a champion. Anyway... Let's quickly, Chris, look back at the Cinderella tournament. Obviously, the brackets have not been announced yet. I assume we're going to get the bracketology um, on the 4th of April. I assume that's when they're going to announce the brackets. Um, But up until now, we just know the competitors. We went through those at the start of the show. It's basically everyone that isn't the children. Um, Chris, who do you see winning this tournament? And... Who, which belt do you see them going for? Um, it'd be nice if we went for the red belt to change the, um, to change how we've done it the last couple of years. Of course, Tony Storm was the last one to have gone for the red belt. So yeah, because so, since I've been watching, it's been Arisa and Ben Julian. We both went for the so and Momo it, who went for the white. Yeah. Belt. So who has the? Who would want to go after Utami for the red belt? Possibly Momo. That that could be a good little redemption arc. Sorry. Uh, tournament is a great place to do a redemption arc mm. so Momo wouldn't surprise me Shiri wouldn't surprise me it's one of those things like I think we said this about Cinderella last year but like I think my predictions are highly likely to change after Yokohama certainly yeah 
That's why these are initial predictions. Yeah, but as it stands, I would go someone who hasn't been, who is either on a redemption arc like Momo, who or who hasn't really had a massive shot at the championship. Like none of the none of the champions are winning, so like you can eliminate Tam and Utami and all that. Um, I don't think anyone who had a match at big match at Yokohama is winning, so you can eliminate B, you can eliminate. Um, that's a boy. So I don't think it's going to be May. I think if we're going to have Mayu in a big tournament, it's going to be the five-star. And even if Mayu wins, her natural place to go is Tam, because that's who she has beef with. So, it's a case of neither. Like, when you're, what you're left with, Shiri, I wouldn't be mad, depending yeah. on how the DDM thing goes. Um, maybe Julia? If they want to fast track her redemption arc, but again, her natural place would be Tam. Hmm. So who knows? Who knows? Um, but if I was if I was to book a winner right here, right now, I'd go Shuri. Interesting. Um, again, it's also going to be something that's going to completely change once we see the graphics. Yeah, not the, gra- the brackets because. It's easier to plan a path for someone at that point, but I can't think of a path for anyone. So we'll look at it in a little bit more depth once we know the brackets uh, when we're going through our Yokohama Cinderella review on Sunday. For me, the the names that jumped out are Azumi. Um, she's the only member of Queen's Quest, you know, aside from Hina, who hasn't gone for the red belt yet. Even if she doesn't go for the red belt, you know, a match between Tam and Azumi for the white belt would be tremendous. I think that would be fantastic. Um, maybe Himika. Um, in the same way that you've said about um, Suri. Um, but I think Himika would gain more from the winning of a tournament at this point than Suri would. Um, I'm with you. I don't think Mayu wins it. Um it do, it does depend on the results from Yokohama because if you know if if stars win then you know starlight kid maybe but for me the person that stood out instantly was Azumi um you know she's no longer the high speed champion therefore is no longer i don't want to say shackled because that's unfair but no longer just tarred as a high speed competitor yeah especially um, after her shiri match Exactly. You know, she's proved that she can go, you know, proved that she can challenge for those belts in different styles. So, you know, what better way to have your first red belt match than with someone who you're with night and day, someone who you know inside out in Utami. Um, And say what you want, whatever show that will be on, Azumi versus Utami would headline. Mm. 100%. But that's if they go for the red belt. I mean, if they decide to go for the white belt again, again, Tell me you don't want to see Tam versus Azumi. That would be a tremendous battle. Um, but like you, Chris, this is all going to change once we see the brackets um, and once we see that path that you were talking about. So it'll be interesting to see come uh, come Sunday. Um, but yeah, let's stop it there. Um, we will be back, like I said, on Sunday. The pay-per-view um, is available via pay-per-view internationally. 
um, for I think thirty pounds. I think it's not expensive as expensive as Budokan. I think it's thirty US dollars or just under. I think it's twenty nine dollars eighty six cents. Uh, so if you want to go that way, go and do it that way. Um, however, you can sign up to Samurai TV if you are in England or the US, and I think it's about three dollars for three days. So sign up now, basically. Um, so that you can watch it live on Sunday. I believe it's a 9 a.m. start in Britain. I think it's 5 o'clock Japan time. So go and check it out, watch it, and then join us on Sunday night, 11 British Standard Time, for our review and our instant thoughts, or sort of instant thoughts, the same day thoughts. Um, In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Um, Go and check out the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe, leave a five-star review, comment. It really does help us fire up the podcast rankings. Uh, Check out the website, www.podmania.co.uk for all our archived podcast episodes. Uh, You can find us on Twitter. It's at the Stardomcast. Chris, where can they find you? At ChrisLovePure. Uh, you can find me it's at Real Rob Goodwin. You can then also join our Rumbly Rumbly Discord. Please go and check that out. Uh, it's in the podcast notes below this episode. Thank you so much. Enjoy Yokohama Cinderella and have a happy Easter. We will talk to you guys again soon. <laughs>